When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. What is it now? Uh, series 2, episode 22, I think it is. And we're talking Wayne Rooney as he scores number 250 to become Manchester United's outright top goalscorer in addition to England's. 250 was yet another moment where he saved the blushes of Man United. A 93rd minute equaliser and a delicious free kick from the edge of the box. We'll obviously talk Rooney, but also the game in general and another disappointing a frustrating 1-1 draw this time against Stoke. As always, we've got our extensive youth and loaned roundup, with the under-18s drawing 1-1 with Everton, and more starts for our loanee goalkeepers Dean Henderson and Sam Johnson, as well as a free-kick goal for Andreas Pereira on loan at Granada in La Liga. Jack, Wayne Rooney, there's, there's nowhere else to start but with him. Another, another sensational goal. One of 250, Manchester United's top goalscorer. A lot of people listening just won't like Wayne Rooney. Every time we sort of talk about him, because we've talked about him quite a lot since we started this podcast about a year ago, we always get tweets or I get people direct messaging me saying, I disagree with you on Rooney. But I think, I think for both of us growing up in what what you could even call the Rooney era and what maybe people will in about 30, 40 years' time, we're so endeared to Wayne Rooney that having him as our, as our top goal scorer ever is something that we both love. Wayne Rooney, I think it's fair to say, does epitomise Manchester United for people like us, our, our kind of age, we've grown up. I'd, with Rooney, really, is one of the only constants. Um, probably him and Michael Carrick have, have been at the club longest now, but obviously Michael Carrick has never been the star that Wayne Rooney has. And for us to, to see now that Wayne Rooney has broken Bobby Charlton's record after so long thinking that he might be able to do it, is incredible and I don't think anyone now fully appreciates Wayne Rooney for the player that he is and I think I saw, I saw an article in um, I can't remember which paper it was in but it was it was about um, whether Rooney deserved a statue like Bobby Charlton and George Best and Sir Alex Ferguson outside Old Trafford and a lot of people were, were, were disagreeing with it and I can understand why because 
and then like he has tried to leave the club twice. He took on Sir Alex Ferguson and didn't wasn't forced to leave like many others have been before him. Um, but I, no one can take away the fact that Wayne Rooney has been an amazing, amazing player for us. And not only has he scored so many goals, he has scored so many goals at important moments as well. And there are, I, I will look back when Rooney, Wayne Rooney retires and remember just the sheer amount of amazing moments that he produced for this football club. Exactly. It's 250 goals, but it's, it's not just 250 goals. So many of those have been what what you can't really describe in any way else except breathtaking. The ones that really shock you, the ones that just make you... I don't know what it is. Those, those sort of volleys, that Newcastle one in the second season, those ones that make you sigh in satisfaction or just exert this noise that you, you have no control over. There's been so many of those and it's incredible for such a prolific goal scorer and he is that despite worse seasons in, in recent years. He is that most seasons at an average of, of 20 goals plus. Some of them, uh, I, th- I think I saw someone tweeted a, a picture of Rooney-Messi comparison from the Daily Mail from that 2008-9 season where Rooney scored 32, Messi scored 31 or something. A prolific goal scorer, but also just an entertaining footballer. Uh, someone who could score goals that no one else could. Um, so, so you've got those volleys, that Newcastle one, um, that one against Reading. And it's not it's not like a thumper volley. It's just a little a little tap in. I think that was in the late two thousands, I think. Uh Middlesbrough in the cup in two thousand five just absolutely levers it. And then and then there's there's so many different types of goals. You got those volleys and you got the lobs. Think about West Ham at the halfway line. I mean that was only a few few seasons ago. For all the talk about Rooney having having been gone in the past few years. Um Oh, I just remember Portsmouth. I think that was in the FA Cup as well, where David James is only just off his line and really dinks him from the edge of the box. There's so many goals like that. Even recently, Fenerbahce in the Europa League when we lost 2-1 away from home. Absolute scorcher. And then, obviously, Stoke, that free kick. And you've got other free kicks like that. What was it? Two against Arsenal in the 8-2? Um, yeah. yeah. I'll never forget the one against Fenerbahce in his debut. Yeah, exactly. You've got the Fenerbahce debut where he scores the hat-trick. One of them's a free kick. You've got those two against Arsenal. That one against Stoke. And yeah, a lot of the time his free kicks have been rubbish. But imagine if in those, the, the prime years of Rooney, the 08, 09, 09, 010, where he really was one of the best players in the world, arguably the third best player in the world after Messi and Ronaldo and potentially even above them. Imagine if he'd been on free kicks instead of Ronaldo or Nani. It could, those goals could have been, 250 could have come even earlier. But it's just it's it's just a small point. It's not just two hundred and fifty goals. It's it's an entertainer. I think what the the other thing that really endears Rooney to people, at, at least at least to me and other people that like him, is that he's such a hard worker as well. Especially in his early days as a player, he was a real breath of fresh air because he'd come in and he had all the talent in the world. But at the same time, if he lost the ball, you knew he was going to work to to get it back, and it endeared him to the fans straight away. And I. I will personally never forget that Fenerbahce game. I remember, obviously, I was pretty young at the time, um, <laughs> as was Wayne Rooney, I guess. But um, I, I will never forget just the sheer amazement watching it, thinking that this this guy is some is just amazing for someone to come in at such a young age on his debut in the Champions League and score a hat trick with three very good goals, including one superb free kick. It was just incredible, and from that moment onwards. 
I don't think he's ever he's ever let let the club down. I don't think he's ever. I don't think you can ever say about Wayne Rooney that he's not been a true professional. And in some ways, obviously, the fact that he tried to leave twice is a very big blot. I think for a lot of people when they think about Wayne Rooney. But I was thinking about this the other day, and if anyone else had tried to take on Ferguson like that, they would have been out the door straight away. And we've seen it before with other other players that Ferguson has deemed surplus to requirements. But the fact that he kept Rooney, even after Rooney did that to him twice, is testament to how much Ferguson valued Rooney and how much he realised that the team needed him. Because without Rooney in that period after Ronaldo left, we would have been in a world of trouble uh, in Ferguson's last few seasons. And there was a time, I think, definitely you can make the claim that Wayne Rooney was the third best player in the world for, for two or three seasons because he was near unplayable for a few years when he was at the peak of his powers. And I was talking to someone on Twitter about this the other day. I think partly the reason why Rooney, some people still think that Rooney never lived up to his potential is because he peaked so early. He was still very young when he reached his peak. I think he was only probably maybe 25, 26, um, which for most people at that point, they're still improving. It's more kind of 27, 28, 29 when they're in their prime. And that didn't happen for Rooney. And the fact that he peaked so early is that people were watching prime Wayne Rooney, but still believe that he had more potential to come. And he, and he didn't. That was just him in his prime, but it just came very early. Um, but that prime was something special. And even now, when he's clearly not the player that he once was, but he gets on with the job in hand, he doesn't complain about being on the bench. And when he does come on, he still produces magical moments like the one against Stoke. Yeah, and I've got a couple of points from what you just said there. We'll go back to the potential bit in a second. But the thing about really trying to leave, it's, it's always going to be... Uh, like a, a black smear on his United career. And that's probably the reason that if he were to be given a statue, and I don't think that will happen because he isn't a legend in the way that Charlton was. And I'll accept that as a, as a Rooney lover, uh, one of my favourite players ever, if not my favourite player ever, uh, to, to have witnessed at United, not, not just in history. But obviously that is a black smear on his United career. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, you think of... So many of our great players, our true legends, our, our best players ever, have had marks like that. You've got George Best, who, of course, the first, the first football's first superstar. And yeah, that was brilliant, and United fans loved it. But then again, had he been in the current era, he'd be absolutely vilified for going out the night before a game, barely coming back to the hotel before three in the morning, and then almost missing the game or missing training to go out. I've got people like Eric Cantona who Kung Fu kicked a man in the face. And like United fans remember that very fondly, but I mean if that happened now and then Rooney, the, the black marks against him are a transfer request and swearing into a camera. And people forget that in that game he scored twice. Even Ryan Giggs, the whole thing with his brother. I mean, th- there's always black marks against these top superstars because they're stuck in this bubble. And for Rooney, it's probably worse because people see it as a betrayal. But you see these two transfer requests. One that we know is true. Second, we don't know if that was Fergie. I mean, a last little punch at Rooney as he left. But he tried to leave the club. But ultimately, he's still here after 12 years since we signed him. And he's our top goal scorer. I mean, the, the loyalty that Rooney's shown compared to other great goal scorers in the game, in, in the modern game, so Premier League era, is astonishing, really. I mean, you think about Alan Shearer, maybe from Blackburn, Newcastle, uh, Gary Lineker, Leicester, Barcelona, Spurs, 
you've got all these players, all these great goal scorers who moved all over the place, like Ronaldo, Berbatov, uh, Van Nistelrooy, left United from Madrid. There's another example. And, and another example, Cristiano Ronaldo used us as a stepping stone for Real Madrid. He's still adored by United fans. Um, the longevity that Rooney has shown is astonishing. 14 years in Premier League football. It might even be 15 or 16 now. That is astonishing. Secondly, the the point you made about how he still has an impact and uh, has, has so so many times has proved the saviour since Ronaldo left. Um, it's not even just since Ronaldo left. It's so often Rooney's been the, the saviour, as he was on Saturday with that free kick against Stoke. Everyone's been saying in the last few seasons how he's not important to United anymore. But under Moyes, you look at... I was looking at this the other day for an article I put up. I'll link it in the... If, if you're on Acast, I'll link it now. But he scored... Under Moyes, he scored equalisers in 3-2 wins against Hull and against Stoke. Both goals in a win against Spurs. There were more winning goals, more equalisers. Then under Van Gaal, you've got the winner at Arsenal, that chip at the Emirates. Uh, and then Di Maria messed it up for 3-1. The winner at Anfield, that was my first Anfield away, that made it special. That curl against Derby in the FA Cup, uh, the penalty against Sheffield United in the FA Cup, those performances to get us to, to win the FA Cup. I mean, we talk about Martial and Rashford being key to our FA Cup campaign. Rooney almost single-handedly got us to that FA Cup final with that semi-final performance and was brilliant in the final. Goals against Sheffield United, against Derby, the year before against Preston North End. I mean... He scored 54 goals since Ferguson left. I mean, we talk about him being in the, in the bad point of his career. That's not bad for someone in the worst bit of their career, is it? Not at all. I, even even in Moyes' season, when he was still probably on, on the on the way down, he definitely wasn't his usual self. I, I don't know the, the exact statistics, but I'm pretty sure he was still our top goal scorer in that season. And, fi- I mean, 54 goals in, what, f- four seasons since Ferguson has left, nearly? I mean... There are a lot of people who, a lot of very good players with worse, with worse records than that over the last few years. I just think that a lot of people always want to have something bad to say about Rooney. And I, I, I can understand it from, from rival fans, but even a lot of Man United fans just seem to have some kind of agenda against him. And I don't really know why, um, because it, it's not like he's ever he's ever talked bad about the club. Even when he, when he tried to leave, he personally stayed very quiet about the whole thing he never came out publicly and criticized the club or criticized Ferguson or anything like that it was all done behind closed doors even during all these bad part bad points that we've had in the last three or four seasons it would have been so easy for Rooney to cash in and go to the MLS or go to China or go to Italy or Spain or anywhere where I'm sure he could have made a, a ton of money not that he isn't already but even way more money than he, even he is now and then he, he wouldn't have to worry about all the press scrutiny that he gets every single week, regardless of whether he plays or not. But he didn't. He has stayed. He's put everything into every single game that he plays. And even now, when he clearly isn't in favour, at least not in terms of being a starter, whenever he comes on, his performances aren't great. There's, like, I mean, we, we're not going to hide that. His performances aren't amazing now. But when he comes on, he still is capable of some moments where you just look at him and you see glimpses of Wayne Rooney at his, uh, his absolute peak. And that, to me, just shows you what kind of professional he is. I've never seen a single player with as much press scrutiny on him as Wayne Rooney. It is absolutely insane. Every single week, every single word that he says, every game that he plays, every minute he's on the pitch, the press are all over him all the time. He deals with it so professionally and so calmly and just gets on with the job day in, day out. 
he has to deal with the pressure of being England captain and United captain, but, but not be a regular starter for either of those two. And the press hound him and hound him and hound him, just waiting for him to turn on Southgate or Mourinho or United or England or other players. And he never does because that's the kind of professional that he is. And I think he embodies what you want from a professional footballer. And he has the talent to go with it as well. I hope Wayne Rooney stays at United for another few years because he might not offer the same as on the pitch as what he, what he used to. But you saw the comments from Zlatan Ibrahimovic the other day when after Wayne Rooney broke the record about how much of a leader Rooney is both on and off the pitch. And we don't have many people like that in our dressing room right now. And he needs to stay at United so that he can offer us that kind of leadership in the dressing room and out on the, on the pitch. Yeah, and you talk about that, that work rate. It's, the, it's, it's that never-give-up mentality, the, the, the true winning mentality. And England fans listening to this, non-United fans who are English listening to this will probably think, well, we haven't seen that. Well, yes, you have. Just no one else in the team has shown that. And Rooney gets blamed for the golden generation basically because he's the people... He's the, the figure that people remember from the golden generation because he's the only one who would score. Not at tournaments, obviously. He's been a big failure for England at tournaments, but people just vilify him for, for things that he hasn't done as well. And he has that winning mentality, the Manchester United way, the never give up, that 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 motto, that adage associated with the club, unlike any other club and unlike any other phrase with United. And really embodies it. You saw it, he, he just broken the the goal-scoring record that stood for 40 years. A little fist pump, a little point, and then he's pointing to the rest of his team saying, get back. We've got 35 seconds left to get a winner here. And that's uh, that's not only just the winning mentality, not just the never never say die mentality. It's also the, the team mentality. Rooney's been a team player for his whole career. He's never, he's never tried to be the main man. You look at Ronaldo. Rooney was effectively Ronaldo's water carrier. He was shifted out to the left wing. Even for England, he's played on the left wing. United under Van Harley played on the left wing. Under under Mourinho, he's played on the left wing. For Rooney, it's, it appears that it doesn't really matter where he's playing. Obviously, he'd rather play up front. But to him, it seems like if I'm playing, then I can score, and I love scoring. So, like, what what else can I can I want? And Rooney's this figure who's who's come off the the estates of Liverpool, grown up fulfilled a dream by scoring and playing for Everton, joined the biggest club in the world, had, a, had an agent who's tried to make him leave the club twice, is well known for being highly controversial and disliked by particularly Sir Alex Ferguson and many people in Paul Stretford, has had all the media criticism possible, the most criticised England player ever, but he's our top goal scorer, and yet he still managed to come out as being England's top goalscorer, Man United's top goalscorer, has won every single competition. It's funny that someone who can be England's top goalscorer and Man United's top goalscorer in history, and and we're not we're not talking about a, a small club or a small footballing nation here. We're talking about a, a, one of the biggest clubs in the world and a very strong footballing nation historically. He's top scorer of both, and yet. There are a lot of people that will tell you that Wayne Rooney has never been world class and doesn't deserve to be to be mentioned among some of the greats. When you look back on on a career like that, those, those statistics and those records broken, they don't lie. And what is also very instructive is how long those records have stood for. No one in recent time has even come close to breaking those, those records. And 
and Wayne Rooney has has broken them and still has some years left to to surpass them even further. I mean, especially it's, I think especially the the Man United goal scoring record because there there was there seemed to be absolutely no chance that anyone would ever break that record. I mean, two hundred and forty nine goals for a single club that's that's ridiculous for Bobby Charlton and and Rooney has has beaten it. And he's beaten it in, I think it's something like 200 less games nearly. All right, Bobby Bobby Charlton wasn't wasn't a striker, but Rooney also hasn't played as a striker for the last five or six years. It's just it's an incredible achievement. It really is, and his ability to to still come up with goals and assists even when he's not playing great, as he has hasn't done this season and and the last couple of seasons is it's uncanny almost actually. I think at the at the start of the season he had something like two or three assists in his first, I think he had three assists in his first three games at the start of the season. And he still wasn't playing very well then. But that was when Mourinho hadn't dropped him yet. But he still was coming up with, with moments of quality. And they aren't very consistent anymore. But he still does it and he's still giving us great moments even now. So I think Wayne Rooney should go down as one of our best players ever. And certainly the most underappreciated player ever. Certainly to play for Manchester United. Because to have such a big subsection of fans who still refuse to acknowledge his greatness for a club where he's record scorer is ridiculous. There's this talk about fulfilled potential and really not fulfilling his. And it always just seems weird to me because, yeah, obviously he had this great potential and people thought he was on a level with Ronaldo and Messi. But bear in mind that he was on a level with Ronaldo and Messi for a long time, till 2010. Till he tried to leave the club for the first time. And secondly, if someone had told you in 2004, when when did Rooney get injured, that against Portugal, if someone had told you at that point, this teenager who's just moved to Man United from Everton for, uh, what, was, what was it, about £25 million, he will win every trophy there is to be possible with Man United. He'll become England's top goal scorer and he'll become Man United's top scorer, overtaking both of Bobby Charlton's records. You either would have gone, that's about right, or don't be ridiculous, he won't be that good. As in, I mean, first he won everything with United, then he became the United's club captain, then his country's captain, then his country's top goal scorer, and then his club's top goal scorer. Overtaking the legendary Bobby Charlton, players like Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer, beating people to records, performing better in leagues like than Cristiano Ronaldo, doing better in some seasons than Lionel Messi. I mean, it... That line, the, remember the name Wayne Rooney, people would have gone, yeah, all right, we remembered it. So many people have come up like that and flopped. And I think what Rooney's done can definitely not be described as a flop. And I've always sort of been borderline between great and legend to describe Wayne Rooney for United. And I've I've realised that he's probably a United legend. And I won't have anyone saying he's not, because he might not be the, the kind-hearted soul of Sir Bobby Charlton, but bloody brilliant at football and he played and does play for our club so we can be happy about that and the people saying he's not a legend those aren't the ones that have been going to United since the days of Charlton I saw Pete Molyneux tweet on on Saturday evening after the game the, ma- the man who held up the the Tarrah Fergie sign uh, he said I've watched United since 1963 Wayne really is and always will be a Man United legend and if Rooney's a, a legend to Pete Molyneux he's a legend to me as well right we've had what is it 20, 20 minutes on Wayne Rooney should we have a, a bit of Stoke game talk? On the game itself, I'd really not broken the record. It would have been a very <laughs> would have been a terrible afternoon. Um, so many awful mistakes and rubbish finishing. 
Uh, I'll, I'll finish it, but I've got a lot of stuff down here. But we're gonna be quick, so we can we can finish on a on a fairly normal time. This might this episode might be a bit longer, but we're lucky Liverpool lost and City and Spurs drew. Um, but we should have capitalised on that. The Stoke goal was poor. Stoke were actually quite poor, and basically United just got drawn into to their game plan at the start and couldn't recover since because they tried to come out with that a high-intensity game, forcing our players out of their comfort zone. We've generally been left to play football while the opposition defended and, and countered in that nine-game winning run. And everyone looked looked less good when they were pressed. Um, and we just kept getting opened up dangerously because we were playing at such a high tempo. Yeah, a, n- a number of flashbacks to the uh, that period earlier in the season. The game to Burnley sprang to mind straight away when I started watching the game because it was just a deep block trying to defend against us. Especially, I only watched the second half of the game because I got out of an exam. Um, but I mean, I've seen I've seen the first half now, and especially in the second half, Stokes just they just sat back in a deep block, um, trying to defend their own box. And to credit to them, they did it pretty well. But our finishing yet again was atrocious and has let us down so much. I mean, I I was reading the um. Sky Sports article the other day. We have the lowest conversion rate of clear cut chances in the entire league. I think we're 16th in terms of conversion rates of chances generally, and the, by far the worst out of the top six. All the rest of the top six are the top five in chance conversion, uh, and and we're something like 16th. It, it's been our Achilles heel all season. We haven't struggled to create chances, which is what the problem was under Van Hal for a lot of the time. We just can't seem to finish them. Um, and one matter, I mean. You couldn't really ask for a worse first half than what Juan Mata had on Saturday, could you? I mean, it, it was it was pretty bad, but the performance generally wasn't too bad. It, I mean, it wasn't our best performance, certainly not in the last couple of months, but we did more than enough to win the game. We just couldn't bury our chances. The only question is why we got drawn in by Stoke to their game plan. And it, it, it really... I mean, it, our midfield was really poor in that sort of first 25 minutes or so. Pogba looked... In- little uncomfortable when pressurised. The, th- the thing is with Pop is, even when he looks uncomfortable, not the Liverpool game, Liverpool game he was atrocious, but even when he looks uncomfortable in some games, he's still surprisingly effective. So he still was one of our better players on the day, statistically, even though it didn't look like it. I think it's just because he gets on the ball so much. But then, because we, we had a midfield three of Pogba, Herrera, Fellaini, and Herrera was charging about like a Jura's old bunny on steroids. Absolute madman. And that's great sometimes when he makes those those brilliant interceptions. Really important. Breaks up play really well. But sometimes he commits too much. And suddenly there's a, a big gaping hole in our midfield. And that's fine when Carrick is playing alongside him because he's deeper and, and ready to protect him, ready to cover him. But when it's Herrera and Pogba in the midfield too with Fellaini above them, which it was for, for much of that opening stages, uh, United open up so dangerously. Stoke just used that the whole time. Yes, Stoke were lucky, obviously, but I mean, we were we were really poor in in positioning, discipline in that in that first. In that we should have come out, seen Stoke, see what Stoke wanted to do in their in, their, in a high tempo. We should have said, right, you know what, we're we're a bigger club than you. We're a better team than you. We'll do what we want. We'll we'll play this game how we want to play it. We should have just relaxed, kept the ball calm things down, waste a bit of time just to, to quiet in that stadium, get the atmosphere down, get the the, the pressure on, on, the, on us and on the opposition because the pressure on the opposition from their own fans is 
sort of helps to them. It's positive pressure. We should have stopped that. And I think that was just the, the main problem. We came out and were shaken so much. And by the time we sort of recovered and Stoke had stopped playing for it, we were 1-0 down. First half was, wasn't... Was not good. We 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 look like a team that was very inexperienced at dealing with that kind of pressure, which is strange because I don't, I don't think that is really the case. We, we defensively we didn't look like we were able to cope with anything that Stoke was throwing at us, which was really strange because it wasn't anything particularly special that Stoke were coming forward with. The midfield, as you say, Herrera, Herrera is very good, and he had he had a decent game on the ball, but. Sometimes he gets too eager to try and make things happen. And sometimes as a midfielder, you have to know when to just stop and realise that you need to hold your position here because if you go in, if you sell yourself and someone gets past you, then the whole game opens up. And he hasn't quite learned that yet. Again, like you said, normally Carrick is there as a kind of insurance policy behind him. Um, Obviously didn't have that on Saturday, which was a big loss. Um, I think just having Fellaini in there as well, although I can totally understand why Mourinho did it against Stoke because they're a big physical team, especially with Peter Crouch and the team who like to get the ball up to the front man. Um, I don't think personally that starting Fellaini was the right was the right choice, um, but I then thought it was kind of strange that we brought him off towards the end of the game because. For, like to, for for me, that is the one time where Fellaini really is um, really is effective. Is towards the end of the game when you're in need of a goal, and he can offer you something. He is a big physical presence that offers you something in the box that no one else really offers us on that team. So I was surprised that he came off. But overall, the first half was was just generally poor. Really, um, we look we didn't look great going forward. We had maybe one or two chances defensively. We we looked out of position. We improved a lot in the second half and we should have won the game. But yeah, again, our finishing let us down. The last two weeks have definitely been disappointments, the, the performances. Liverpool wasn't amazing, uh, but we did some a draw. But Stoke was, was really disappointing. Yeah, I've just... Uh, the the whole game was poor, but just on... I mean, what, what really annoyed me was Chris Morning. And this is just a, a general point because most of the game's negatives have sort of been overshadowed by the, the Rooney thing and it, it's made them turn into positives but I think Saturday was more evidence this morning's neither England nor United standards and, and should be one of the first to move on and, and I like him and he had some really really good and promising performances under Van Hal and ended up as one of our vice captains but he's so incredibly clumsy and so just surprisingly ill-disciplined at times average at most other things and often below average like defending at set pieces those when he sort of wwe wrestles someone to the ground at set pieces and you think oh that, what where is the the sense in doing that he made less passes than almost anyone on the pitch no tackles attempted no interceptions in the first half he had no blocks no aerial duels in the first half he had nothing defensively good except clearances and he lost possession once, which you don't want to see from a defender. And then by full time, he made 13 clearances. And that, that looks good for a defender. So there's a couple of blocks and a couple of aerial duels. But that's not just what a defender is. And not every defender has to be like Daley Blind and can play the ball. It doesn't have to be your John Stones 
although that's not going too well. But any time the ball comes onto Smalling's left foot, he looks so uncomfortable and almost undoubtedly moves back inside across his own goal, which is something you're taught not to do from about four. To go onto his right foot, pass to his teammate, who's now also under pressure from a striker like Peter Crouch, who notices Smalling can't actually play football. So he's suddenly passing to someone like Rojo or Jones, who's now being put under pressure from the, the opposition striker and has to boot it out. And if he doesn't have to boot it out, then Smalling already has. And there was another example where the ball comes down um, the right flank and Smalling's competing with the defence to get there. Gets there, has about three yards of space. Instead of just passing it easily back to De Gea, boots it off the pitch needlessly. Even Phil Jones wouldn't needlessly hoof it out of play when under very little pressure. And Smalling would. There's no composure from him, and I don't really have any trust in him when he's playing. Um, I don't know how he's our captain, let alone in the team. I'd get rid of Smalling, not necessarily now, but replace him with Axel Twanzeba, because Twanzeba certainly has the quality to be a backup centre-back currently, and, and should be getting his chance anyway. And the fact that someone like Smalling, who isn't good enough for United, and looked good enough under Van Gaal because we were an average team, and we are playing so defensive that teams... That really it was our midfielders and attackers doing the work, is getting in the team ahead of Twanzebe is is really disappointing. Smalling I don't think should should really be, be close to the first team at, at the moment. His performances haven't haven't warranted it. Um and even it, it it was almost kind of poignant at times watching Smalling and Jones next to each other because tipped five years ago as being the future of English of English defences for years to come. And it just never never really panned out that way for them. But what was what was poignant for me was seeing how their careers have panned out very similarly, but now how it's Jones who is really making the step up and is the one who looks like he'll be able to actually sustain a career at, at Manchester United. Like I said, Smalling looked good last season, but we were in a very defensive system um, where the defence actually rarely had much to do and when they did, looked very ordinary. And this season, Smalling has been exposed a lot of, a lot of times when he has played. I definitely think going forward, we, we have at the moment Jones, Rojo, Blin, Twanzebe, who I hope will come in and get the opportunities he deserves. I saw on Twitter earlier, uh, I think uh, Twanzebe's been training with the first team this week, uh, which is which is good to see. Hopefully he, he will get his chances because he deserves it. He's, he's played well enough in the in the under-23s and he he looks like someone who was ready to make that step up to the first team. So hopefully he will get his chances very soon. Smalling, I, I, as you said, I don't really think he offers much. And I, I'm surprised that there haven't been more rumblings about him potentially wanting a move away because he's at the stage in his career now where he needs really to be getting regular football and he's just not going to get that at Manchester United, um, especially once Eric Bailly comes back from the African Cup of Nations as well. Um, we, we have too many options at centre-back that are superior to Chris Smalling at the moment. Yeah, on, on the subject of centre-backs, good to see Marcus Rojo... Um... With uh, in the United away end again, I love it when players do that. Uh, Anfield away last year, he was there along with Jones. Didn't think at that point when we saw them sort of sitting next to each other, we didn't think that they'd be our best partnership in a year. <laughs> we probably thought they'd both be gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, nice to see Rojo there, and and all the people that were there said he 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 was in a good mood and was very receptive to fans wanting photos, uh, wanting autographs, and that's. That's nice to see another another foreign player who somehow manages to just get the uh, that United sentiment. 
And everyone is warming to Marcus Rojo. Right, some youth news now. United's under-18s return to action with their first league game of 2017, having won the Sparkas and VGH Cup earlier this year in Germany at under-17 level. Check our older episodes for that or our Twitter. The under-18s played Everton this weekend and despite dominating the first half, only one goal went in in that first half with Angel Gomez finishing in style, a cracking shot into into the roof of the net, I think it was. He later missed a penalty though and Everton capitalised through substitute Bell. DJ Buffonge had a great chance in the 93rd minute to win it, but couldn't quite get his body in the right shape to finish. United are now third in the under-18 Premier League, two points off second place Liverpool and seven off Manchester City. United play Sunderland next Saturday, away from home with a 12.30 kickoff. That game will probably be live on MUTV. In loan news, it was another successful week for Dean Henderson and all of our youth players as he kept yet another clean sheet for Grimsby Town in his sixth consecutive start for the League Two side. I think that's his fourth clean sheet in six games for them. Uh, They're newly promoted but doing well in 11th in League Two. Henderson spoke to BBC Radio Humberside after the game about his future at Grimsby Town, his loan move finishing on January the 31st. Listen to this, he also talks about his life in Grimsby with his family there. He's living with his grandma at the moment. He starts off with the reporter asking why United only extended his loan move until end of January. I got to the stage where I needed to be playing games. Um, so I think they've done that just to make sure that um, obviously I'm playing and that. Um, because at the end of the day, I can, at this moment in time, I've got a lot of interest. I can go um, maybe a couple of leagues above or the league above, certainly. Um, at this time? One, at this t- moment in time. Um, I've got family here, I'm settled, I'm feeling good, I'm playing well. Most important thing at my age is get as many games as I can under my belt. Um, the fans are a big selling point for me, the, the atmosphere is incredible. Um, and I'll be honest with you, you ain't going to get this following anywhere else. And they put you in situations where you've got to be ready, got to be able to perform. It's almost like going like um, in a few years when I go away and play for Man United, hopefully. Um, it'll be like having their fans behind me, so these put me in a position where I'm able to deal with that. Um, I'm, I'm in a position now where things are getting um, dealt with above me at Man United, and at the end of the day, I'm just enjoying my football, playing well, um, and we're winning, so I'm, I'm just happy as it is. But I, I can't comment um, any further on other things, really, but at the end of the day, I'm enjoying my time here, um, and we'll wait and see. Are Manchester United going to make the decision then as to whether you stay here beyond January or will it be your call or, or how it's will it work? Man- it's all Manchester United at the end of the day. All I can say when I speak to them um, is that I'm enjoying myself. Um, it's a great opportunity to get as many games as I can under my belt to the end of the season um, and then it's down to them to see what they do. Um, Have they given you any feedback yet? Well, look, I speak to my goalkeeper coach regularly and they're obviously happy. Um, he's, he's just saying it's important to get as many games under my belt and keep doing, putting the consistent performances in. In terms of life in Grimsby then, I know you've got family here. Who are you living with at the moment? I'm living with my grandma actually, so it's good for her to have company. Um, so obviously I'm enjoying that um, and building a good bond with her. Um, so that, that helps um, for family issues as well. So uh, it's not nice, nice for me and her to build a big relationship. That was Dean Henderson after Grimsby Town's 2-0 win against Notts County, in which he saved a brilliant free kick in the top left corner. He reached out and saved that. It was Andreas Pereira, though, who scored a free kick, a Ronaldinho-esque free kick, drilling it underneath the wall against Espanyol. But despite creating a number of chances for his teammates, his Granada side lost 3-1 to Espanyol in La Liga. Sam Johnston, another goalkeeper, started a third consecutive game for new side Aston Villa. Steve Bruce's side surrendered a 2-0 lead against Preston North End and drew 2-2. Well, Adnan Yanazai was hugely disappointing for Sunderland in their 2-0 defeat at West Brom. He was taken off after 66 minutes, much to the relief of some Sunderland fans who haven't been happy 
with his performances this season. And if you haven't seen, Joe Riley, the left-back, has joined Sheffield United on loan. Uh, he joined them on Tuesday, a deal that lasts until the end of the season. Started on the wing, but Riley is now a formidable left-back. Uh, certainly, in my opinion, it is always useful to move on to the wing when needed, as he was on Monday when United's under-23s played Liverpool. Uh, he's definitely got a bright future. He's been uh, one of the standouts for the under-23 side this season. He was on the bench on Saturday for Sheffield United. I'm sure he'll be in the first team soon and will take his chance, which is good to see him getting. And we've got Hull City on Thursday. Uh, I can't actually remember why it's on the Thursday, but EFL Cup, uh, League Cup to, to you normal people, is um, League Cup semi-final away at Hull on a Thursday. We go in with a 2-0 lead, what should have been a bigger lead. Um, and it will mean that, given that Hull aren't as rubbish as they were when we last played them, we will need to put out a stronger team than wanted. Um, Jack, very quick prediction on this, because we've spoken for a long time already. Just your score prediction. And do you think Rooney will get number 251? I'm going to go for a 2-1 win on the night, and Rooney will not score. 2-1 win to make a 4-1 aggregate. No, I don't think Rooney will score either. I just had to... Snatch something in there to make it more interesting. Although, I remember, what was it? I think it was 2010. We played Hull and Rooney scored all four goals. That's another good thing about Rooney. I am going for a. Yeah. A 2 0 win to make it 4 0 on aggregate. But I don't think it'll be comfortable. And I think we're going to need that because at the moment, if we carry on on another, on another run of draws or. Even if we get a draw and qualify, uh, get into the into the final, I don't think that's good enough because we need a a little confidence booster at the moment. Um, right, we've got a couple of questions. The first one: um, Who is the team you're most hopeful of displacing in the top four from at Spurs S? Just the initials BC. Um, one word answer first: Liverpool. Oh. <laughs> That would be immensely satisfying because City are already out there. Otherwise, I'd say City because that would be perhaps even more satisfying uh, with Guardiola. I would say because yeah. um, you, you get slip-ups with Liverpool like that against Swansea, but then again, they have no Europe and we're about to see Europe come into action in February and March. Um, yeah. I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said Arsenal. I'm going to go with Liverpool as well. I, I said I said Arsenal last week too, but I think I think this winning against Burnley for Arsenal, the way they did it, will give them a lot of momentum going forward. And they they've never played that that well for most of the season, but they just keep grinding out results. And I can't I can't see Arsenal dropping out now. Yeah, um, they are finally fulfilling that thing of Arsenal always get top four. On the subject of Arsenal, Wenger has confirmed himself as a. <laughs> outright knob by pushing that fourth official. Uh, second question from at Azpilian Diego. I'm sure that's not his real name. How do you feel about Martial to Chelsea? Supposedly Martial is in France at the moment, which is odd, um, although it might not actually be odd. Um, if his confidence is a bit lower, then Mourinho might have allowed him to go back to France for know, a couple of days. Especially if he's not planning to put him in the matchday squad for Hull, possibly. Yeah, exactly. And and so many managers have allowed their players to go back if there's a family issue or if they're just not feeling right. Uh, when Cristiano Ronaldo's dad was dying, Fergie um, 
Fergie allowed us. He said, go back for however long you want. And Mourinho, I think, will have that same mentality because when that period at Chelsea where the, just before his, uh, just before he got sacked in that awful period, he was flying back to Portugal. Um, I think it was every other day to see his dad who was um, ill at the time. So I think possibly it's something like that. Martial to Chelsea... No, I, mean, I think he's, he's only 20. He's got plenty of time at United left. Um, and I think he'll accept that maybe he's not going to get first-team football all the time this season. I don't think he'll mind about that. You? Yeah, obviously, I don't I don't want it to happen. Um, we need to see kind of what, what comes out of this story. We saw with the, the whole Diego Costa fiasco that wasn't a fiasco, that speculative journalism can really just create a story where there isn't one. So we need to just see and wait, wait, wait what happens. But... I definitely don't want Martial to leave, especially not to a rival in the Premier League. Right, uh, that's all we have time for on Series 2, Episode 22 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Uh, a little longer than usual as we look at back at Wayne Rooney's goals for the club. There's a lot of them, isn't there? Um, so fair enough for us. For more from us, check out www.manchesterunitedweeklypodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end. You can find more from Jack at UTD Tate. And any questions or comments, fire them at me at at HarryRobinson64. And a little more news I forgot to include in our youth roundup. Sean Goss, the midfielder, who I've been very impressed with this season since coming back from a back injury, having been injured in March of last year, uh, is rumoured to be on his way to QPR for £500,000. Absolute bargain. And I hope there's a buyback clause because while Goss isn't set to be a star, he is someone who could prove United wrong, such as Michael Keane or Paul Popper. He has been offered a new contract at United, according to some people, but he's deciding between first-team football and carrying on at United, hoping for that extra chance. Anyway, that is all we have time for, most definitely. We're, we're far over our time. As always, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Network.